with you this morning. If you don't have a Bible, typically there's Bibles underneath the seats in front of you. There are little racks. Um, But if you have a Bible with you this morning, if you could open up to Luke chapter 14. And we're going to be in verse 12. And what I'm going to do is I'll just read the passage for us. And then after I read, I'll pray. Luke 14. Oh, sorry. I forgot something, didn't I? I do this sometimes. Uh, if we have any kids with us this morning who are going to go up to kids' ministry, our, our elementary kids, you can meet at the back of the room here and we'll, we'll send you on up to, to kids' ministry. So, very good. Luke 14, verse 12. He said also, this is Jesus talking, he said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Verse 15 When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the the, the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Would you pray with me, please? Father, this morning I am particularly aware of the fact that it is not my skills that make an impact. It is not even my voice. It's not our ability to play music. It's not the flowing of the service. It's, it's none of that that makes an impact here this morning. So, Father, I, I ask that what I would decrease and that you would increase and, and, and that you would do your work through your word because it's your word that works. It's your word that cuts to the heart, that, that divides joints and marrow. And, and Lord, I ask by your spirit that you would speak through your word. Lord, would you do this? I submit to, to whatever you want to say this morning. Lord, would you give us all ears to hear, and hearts to respond to what you want to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, I want to talk to you about weddings for just a little bit. Um, 
it, it, it's, it can easily be said that weddings are like absolutely one of the most stressful things that anybody can actually do in their life, right? Like if uh, anybody who's planned a wedding or, or who's had a wedding uh, will tell you that that wedding and the process of planning it is a really, really stressful thing because this is what you have to do. You have to decide on a venue, right? Venues, by the way, are really, really expensive. They're hard to find. They're really, yeah, so you guys know, right? Jay and Zeke back there. They're, 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 I'm, just, I'm just preparing you for the trauma you're about to experience. I want you to know that. So... So, uh, so yeah, you got to find venues, then you have to get food, right? And let's be honest, all of us have experienced poor wedding food, right? We've all had food at weddings that just wasn't that great. And so we, that's another stressful part. We want to make sure we have good food. And then we have to think about decor, make sure everything's like sort of unified and has a theme and has like special meaning to us and to the people who come. And then we have to, to get some music, right? That's more money, by the way. Uh, and then we have a wedding party, right? So now we have groups of friends and we have to decide which of those friends are going to stand up there with us. And then we have to worry about who we might offend by asking those people, right? Okay, so that's, that's another piece that we have to think about. Then we have to, to figure out the time of day, because actually this is like a really uh, weird thing that people get super, com- like they complain about all the time, like, oh, that's a bad time of day to have a wedding, and so we have to think about when we do that, uh, we have to worry about the opinions of every single person who's going to come to this wedding, right? Uh, and then uh, we have to think about, oh, like, what, what is the dress going to look like? How are we going to do the dress? Uh, Miss Debbie, she's not here right now, but, but she is actually, she, I think she's helping with Jay's dress, or, and that, like, that is a, a whole stress in and of itself, right? Like, there's that reality. Uh, and then you got the, the grooms who have to pick tuxes and suits and all this, the, the stuff, and then, and, and then you have money, right? As if I haven't mentioned that enough, like the, 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 like it just hits your pocketbook really, really hard, the, the wedding does. And then you have to deal with invitations. So like, who can come to the wedding? Who can't come to the wedding, right? That's a, that's a kind of tricky one. Um, what accommodations do the guests need? How are we going to possibly make all the people we would want to invite fit in the place that we're trying to invite them? Uh, how do we handle the situations with the people that we don't invite? So I want to ask a question, why? Why? Like, okay, it's just like looking at our wedding culture in general. Why? No, but uh, why is this so stressful? Why do we sometimes actually in this process see a side of people that we don't love seeing? Like what, like, what happens here that creates this situation? And uh, I think there's, there's probably, reasons differ from person to person for, for why this gets so stressful, why we pour so much energy in and that kind of stuff. But, but I want to put my finger on one really big reason that I think exists. You have, you have two people, two entire sets of relationships. So, so you have one person with all of their relationships, another person with all of their relationships. And, and you want these people, these, these two realms of relationships to kind of converge, to become one, uh, and, and to, to have like this awesome party on one of the most significant days of your life. You want to celebrate these two groups of people coming together, and, uh, and you want to you welcome these people into your, this new part of your life. 
this new life that you're creating. You want them to feel, uh, you want to express hospitality towards them. You want to care for them well. And so this is what you do. You craft like personalized invitations. Uh, You set up the perfect seating arrangements at the reception. Uh, You spend absolutely way more money than you should uh, because, well, actually, before I get into that, I have to tell you a quick story. This was really cool. This was a really great way that a bride and groom were hospitable to to me and uh, my wife at a wedding that we went to. I have a friend, his name is Danny, and uh, this is what they did. Like, this is how they thought about their hospitality. They actually kind of, like, set people at specific seats, but then at each seat was a personalized thank you note. So not a thank you note that we received in the mail after we gave them their gift, but a personalized thank you note there in the seat at the reception saying, we value you for this and this reason, like something specific, something personalized. We value you, we're thankful for you, and we're glad you could celebrate this day with us, right? Really meaningful, really important way to like make people, people feel welcome. That was really cool and sweet, right? So that's like, that's what people do. And, and the reason people do this is because you love these people that you're welcoming into your life, and, and you, you want to throw the biggest party you've ever thrown for these people because this is about celebrating your lives coming together. And sometimes, sometimes wedding guests don't always realize all that stuff. They're kind of just along for the ride. But you are pouring out your energy to make them a part of this because you value them so much. You have so much value for them. So uh, today's parable, the parable that we're walking through today, um, if you're new with us, we've been in a series on Jesus's parables, stories that Jesus tells uh, to convey to us something about the kingdom of God. And today's parable is all about a party, a massive party that God has had planned for a really long time. So I want to tell you about this party. We hear about this party In Isaiah 25, verses 6 to 8, this is what it says. It says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. This is going to be an amazing party. And this is the implications of the party. Verse 7, He will swallow up on this mountain the covering of, the darkness that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. Verse 8, he will swallow up death forever. This feast, this party that's God, that God's throwing, he's going to completely do away with the only enemy that remains standing against us, death. And the Lord God, will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people. He'll take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Guys, God is gonna throw the most amazing party that has ever happened. And this is a promise that every follower of God, that that they knew that they could own for themselves. So if we go back to Jesus's time now, you have a bunch of Jewish people who are trying to follow God and they knew that this promise, this feast was for them. And so I want to talk about Jesus for a second because Jesus enacted this. Jesus ate with people all the time. In fact, that was his primary ministry was he was sitting around people's tables eating with them. And this was in part his, how often he ate with people and enjoyed his time with people. This was in part a prophecy or a foretelling of what God was going to do through Jesus at the end of time when the kingdom was going to come. 
And so, so here's the prophecy. Here's, here's what the whole thing is saying. It's saying God will win, and he's inviting you to the victory party. So God's going to win. God's going to have victory, and he's going to throw the biggest party ever, and guess what? You're invited. Everybody's invited. That's what he's saying. Okay. Luke 14, 12. I want to set up this story that Jesus tells. So in verse 12, it says, he said also to the man who had invited him in, so this is what happened. There was a Pharisee, a religious leader, and what he does is he invites uh, Jesus to come to his house and eat. And uh, this Pharisee thought he was going to be tricky to Jesus, and it it was the Sabbath when this man invites Jesus over. And so Jesus comes to the house, and there's a man on the floor who has something called dropsy. Uh, What it is, is it's like edema, or or like swelling, like water has like swelled in people's limbs. And this is what this man on the floor has. And and so the Pharisees are testing Jesus, because it's the Sabbath, and they want to know if Jesus is going to heal this man. And Jesus doesn't have a second thought about it. He goes and he heals the man. The man gets up and he like walks out of the house. And, and so he, anticipating that the Pharisees were going to object to this, this is what Jesus asks him. He, said, he asks the Pharisees that are present, he says, how many of you, when you lose an ox in a well, or even when you lose your own child in a well, will not go and get him on the Sabbath? Like, he's like, you have to, like, this is, if it's your own child, you're going to go to take care of them. And you don't care what the law says, you know that you have to care for your child well. Right? So this is what he says. He tries to, and the, the Pharisees had no response. They, they were kind of dumbfounded in that moment. So Jesus sticks around, the Pharisees stick around, and they have dinner together. And they're conversing back and forth. And then Jesus, uh, Jesus says some uncomfortable things. Verse 12. When you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Least they also invite you in return and you be repaid. So Jesus is saying, hey, guess what? When you invite people who are like you, they invite you back and you get something from them. But Jesus says, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So this is what Jesus is saying. When he says resurrection of the just... He's talking about that feast at the end of time, that big thing where God's going to do away with death forever, that special blessing that we receive. And then, so people who receive that blessing at the end of time, this is the implication, people who receive that blessing are people who make space at their parties for the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. Verse 15. Verse 15. So imagine for a second. Jesus speaks up and says this. And there's like this really awkward silence in the room. Because like nobody knows how to respond. Like, okay, Jesus, so what? Like, well, what do you want us to do? We're here, right? It's, so this guy, I think, so there are two options for what this guy says. One, he's drunk. That's like, that's one reason why he says it. Or the other reason is that he was really, really uncomfortable and he just wanted to change the subject. And so he says, uh, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So, so this is what the guy does. He, and honestly, like what he says is not untrue. Like, Yes, everybody who will eat bread in the kingdom of God is going to be blessed. Absolutely, I 100% agree with that. Like, but he's doing it to break the tension, to break the silence. And, and what Jesus, Jesus actually sees 
in him a sort of underlying thought. There's, there's a, a thought underlying his words, and this is what Jesus really wants to address because the, the religious elite, the Pharisees, the people who were in charge of the religion of the day, this is what they thought. This is the underlying thought. I know who the faithful are. I know who's going to heaven. I know who's going to be at the party. They had no question in their mind of who those people were. And guess who wasn't going to be at the party? The poor, the crippled, the, lime, the, 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 the lame, the blind, the Gentile, the person who had been cursed by God, all of those people were not going to be at the party. And Jesus, Jesus is interested in kind of reorienting their thoughts on this. So he tells a story. The lamest excuses you've ever heard. We're going to take a look at these excuses in just a second. But first I want to look at um, verse 16. He said to him, a man, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. So what we need to know is that Jesus actually intends us, what he wants us to see is that the banquet holder is God. He intends us to see that the person throwing the party in this parable is God. And everybody sees this, this parable that he tells. Everybody in the room is going to notice that it is an obvious allusion to Isaiah 25, that great feast that was going to happen at the end of time where God was going to do away with death forever. Everybody would see that illusion. It would be very obvious to them. And so uh, what you have here are, are two invitations, and that's why it said in verse 16, he invited many. So this is kind of like the save the date that we send out for our weddings, right? We want to let people know, hey, you need to mark this date on your calendar. And, and, and in Jewish time, typically what would happen is people would commit to the date at that time. So people would commit to the date, and then the second invitation that goes out is kind of the one that says, all right, it's time to, to come now. It's time to arrive at the party. That was the second invitation that would go, go out. And so this is, this is what it's, it essentially tells us, is that there are people that Jesus has, has invited that have agreed to come, and now it's just time for them to arrive at this great banquet. It's time for them to arrive. So this guy, he's throwing this, probably the best party you can imagine. That's why it talks about it being, being a, a great banquet. It's not just any banquet, but it's a great banquet. It's a massive party. He's pouring his, his energy into making this a really great experience for, for all the people, all the guests who go there. And then the servant goes out to invite people. And, and these are people who are already supposed to be coming to the banquet. And... and He's just kind of letting them know, hey, it's time, to, it's time to go to the party. And verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. So, this, so these, you have these people, and they, uh, they have agreed to come, but they come up with all of these reasons that they can't show up to the party now. Maybe they figured out what kind of party it actually is and they don't want to go there. I don't know. But they decided, uh, we can't go anymore. So they start coming up with these excuses. And so the one man, he bought a field. He has to go out and check on his field. So I don't know why you would check on something after you bought it and not before you bought it, but this is apparently what this man does. He, he goes out, he has to go check on his field. 
The next man, verse 19, another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. By the way, five yoke of oxen is a lot of oxen. This man was obviously very, very rich. And he says, I need to go out and examine them. Please have me excused. So this other guy, he's got this reason. He can't show up to this place he agreed to show up. Verse 20, the third man, another said, I have married a wife. <laughs> My wife won't let me come. Dude, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> I'm, I'll get in trouble if I say anything else. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, so, so he said, I've married a wife. That's, that's his excuse. He can't, he can't make it. So I want you to notice, by the way, that none of these excuses... We're, we're talking about lame excuses. I want you to know, none of these excuses are lame because of their content. Okay, so if you buy a field, it's probably pretty good that you go out and check on that field. If you buy five yoke of oxen, you should probably go examine them. If you've married a wife, like you want to make sure that you care for your wife well, that you respect her time, like all of that stuff, that's all really important. Those are all really good reasons for something. But, but these are not lame excuses because of the content of the excuses. They're lame because of what they're turning down. They're lame excuses because of the opportunity that they're turning down. So this is kind of like these guys. This guy, he, uh, this, uh, this banquet holder, he is throwing this awesome party. He's got the table set. He's got, everything's ready to go. And then these guys kind of say, hey, thanks for the invite, but I've got something more important to take care of. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate that you're bringing me along, but um, I've got things that are now more important than that. Okay, so to help us associate, maybe even put ourselves in the shoes of the banquet holders, right? I want us to consider this. These are five weak sauce excuses for turning God down. Five weak sauce excuses for turning God down. So, uh, So I know like there are a lot of us in this room who have committed to Jesus. We're following him. Uh, we've kind of accepted God's invitation. But uh, I will be the first to raise my hand that there are times when I don't do something that I know God wants me to do, right? God's inviting me into something, and I kind of say, no, God, I'm good, right? So, so even if we have, like, we're following Jesus, we've accepted that invitation, all of us can associate with these excuses. So the first one is this. I'm really stressed right now. You know, I, I, I'm going to get in trouble. I'd really love to come to church this morning, but I'm just so stressed right now. Um, I've got a lot on my plate, and uh, God, I'm good. Like, I'm okay. Uh, I, I, I just, I, I don't think I can handle it, right? Um, okay, so that's, that's, uh, that's a, a weak sauce excuse. The reality is, is God, God has so many blessings for us that he just wants to offer us, but, uh, but I, I, God, I'm too stressed for that right now. Okay, the second one. That won't make fill in the blank happy. I don't know who your blank is, uh, but you, maybe you're thinking about, hey, like, I know God wants me to do something, but I know this person in my life is going to be really frustrated with that thing, right? So now we're, we're more, actually, we're more worried about what that person thinks of us than we are about the blessings that God wants to give us. Uh, three, no one else is, so I don't have to worry about it. This is the comparison game, right? So, so we, we look around and we kind of say, okay, yeah, God's like, uh, God's inviting me into something. God wants me to, maybe God wants me to share the gospel with my neighbor. I don't know. Uh, but you know what? There's, there's nobody else at the church who's doing that. 
You know, that's, I, I'm okay. I don't, have to, I don't have to share the gospel with my neighbor. Nobody else around me does that. And so, so we play a game of comparison. Even though there are things that God wants us to, to invite into, we look around us and we say, well, nobody else is doing it, so I don't have to do it. Uh, number four, I want to, but I can't miss the Bears game. <laughs> or football in general, or I, like, I don't know what it is, but, but whatever like that blank is, you're saying, God, that's great. Thank you so much for that offering. But man, like 12 o'clock is coming up really fast. I got to get out of here, right? So, okay, okay. Uh, number five, this one, I have to be true to myself. I have to be true to myself. God, thanks for the invite, but that just, I'm not, I have to live my truth, God. I have to live my truth. I have to do my thing. So, uh, so thanks anyway. So even though many of us, actually, many of us have responded positively to Jesus, the reality is, is God is offering us invitations like all the time to do the things that he wants to do. Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may discern what is the will of God, literally, so that you may figure out what God wants. That, like, that's what he's saying, so that you can know what is acceptable and good and perfect. But the, the whole point is, God, God wants us, he's showing us what he wants us to do all the time, and, and, and then we sometimes can have these kinds of excuses. Now, uh, again, these excuses are not lame by virtue of their content. Like, being really stressed, actually being really stressed is sometimes, like, it's a good time to rest at that point, Right? Um, that won't make somebody happy. You know, it's good to have compassion on the people around us, to be concerned about how they feel sometimes, right? Like none of these in and of themselves, maybe I have to be true to myself. I don't know. I could go on that one. But, uh, but these, these things naturally, like they're not awful because of their content, right? They're awful because of what they turn down. Because God is inviting us into something. He wants us to be a part of something. He's asking us to respond positively to him. And sometimes we just have some excuses. Every, every positive response to God is an opportunity. So maybe it's a, a change that he wants to do inside of you. Maybe he wants to bear fruit in the world around you. And essentially what we say with each excuse is, hey, thanks for the invite, but there's something more important that I have to prioritize. So uh, now, he's, Jesus is speaking to these people, and he's trying to get them to associate with these guys who have excuses, right? These Pharisees. So what he's anticipating is Jesus sees himself as the invitation into God's kingdom and, and to this, this great feast, to this big party that, that God's going to throw at the end of time. And what he's trying to get the people who are listening to him to do, he's trying to get them to ask the question, are we going to accept and believe and follow him, this invitation into God's kingdom, or are we going to turn God down? Because the implication is, and even with some of what Jesus has said already, like being a part of his kingdom is welcoming in the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, and the Pharisees don't love it when Jesus says stuff like that. And Jesus is trying to point out to them, listen, if you don't respond positively to this invitation, this is going to go much different than you expect. Movement four, honor, shame, and the Jewish framework. So I want to talk to you just a second about the way Jesus' listeners were thinking. So this is the reality of Jesus' world. 
Um, guy sends out an invitation, people agree to show up, they, and then they say they can't make it. Um, so, so in our world today, we're much more gracious, but in that world, to do, to do the very thing that we're talking about was to cast a lot of shame upon the host. So what you were doing is actually, it was a great dishonor to the host. It was a publicly shameful thing. So I want to talk to you for a second about culture. So there are things called low-context culture. In low-context culture, by the way, the United States is a very low-context culture. We rely primarily on words and information as our communication medium. So we use words and information primarily. In a high-context culture, which would have been a first-century Palestine, the kind of culture that Jesus was in, we rely on actions and atmosphere as the primary communication medium. So, so what happens is uh, these guys actually refusing to show up to the party, that's, a, that's an action, that's an atmosphere thing that happens. And, and what is left to intuit from everybody who's watching is to say that, that these people who turn down that host do not respect that host, do not honor that host, do not care about that host. And so to respond negatively to the invitation was to say, you know, sorry, I can't make it, we'll see you next time. Like, that's, that's maybe how we would respond, right? Like, hey, it's all good. Don't worry about it. You know, that's okay. We're very gracious, you know. But in that culture, to do that was a very disrespectful thing, to, to turn down this invitation. So, so imagine you're the host at this point. You've worked so hard to create this most amazing party that you have ever made. You have these people here, and, and they were slotted to be there, by the way. You already have their table set. You have their little name cards at their tables. They're good to go. And now they have said, hey, we're not going to make it. And they've done so in a manner that is publicly disrespectful towards you. How would you respond? Let's look at how the host responded. This is what he said. Verse 21, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry. So is he justified in his anger? Well, I would, like, I would say he is. He invited those people. Those people publicly disrespected him. He worked his butt off to get this great party, and, and they're shaming him publicly. And he's labored for hours, you know? Like, so Jesus, this is what he intends to see. He intends us to see God as the host, but this is what he also wants us to see. He wants us to put our shoes, or ourselves in the shoes of every single invitee, every person, to see ourselves first as the first group of people that he's inviting to ask, would we respond in the same way when God's, God offers us the invitation? Because the implication is some of the people in the room that Jesus is talking to, some of them won't respond positively. Some of them are actually going to turn down God's invitation. They'll say, hey God, I'm good, but I've got something more important that I need to tend to. And the implication is that God will be angry with them. Okay, so so what? This is one so what. Is it okay for God to be angry with people? Right? Because culturally, it's very not okay. Like, I, I'm not going to go to Starbucks and start having a conversation with a person about how angry God might be at them, right? Because that does not going to win me a whole lot of points, right? Okay. So is it okay for God to be angry with people? So instead of answering the question outright, I want to offer us three perspective-adjusting realities. First of all, we have no authority to stand 
in judgment of God. So in the book of Job, you have Job who's trying to come up with all of these reasons why God, like his life fell apart. God actually allowed his life to fall fall apart. And he's trying to come up with all of these reasons why God might do this. And this is what God says to Job. He says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? He says, dress for action like a man. I will question you. Hey, and you'll make it known to me. You're going to let me know. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know or stretch the line upon it. Like the point is, and if you read the entire passage, it's hilarious because God is like throwing this, like all of these passive aggressive comments at Job. Like, hey man, like I think you know. You've been talking about it for like uh, two years. Like, you know, tell me. Tell me if you have some information for me. Instruct me. And the whole point is nobody. God created everything. He's the one who has ultimate authority. None of us have the right to stand in judgment of God and say, God, how dare you be angry? Right? Okay, so that's the first perspective adjusting reality. The second one is actually this is what we have to deal with. Scripture speaks of God's wrath. This is true. Scripture speaks of God's wrath more than it speaks of God's love. Right? Now, God's love is still important, and we still need to uh, recognize that, but Scripture speaks of God's wrath more than it does of his love because the implication is God wanted really good things for people, and people betrayed him. People did what they wanted. People followed the desires of their own heart instead of caring at all what God thought. And so God is saying, like, I, I actually want to, like, I want to punish. I want to unleash my anger, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm, all through scripture, we see him say, I will be patient. I'm going to be patient so that they might repent, so that they might actually turn back towards me to come and be with me. But the implication is there's still anger in that idea. Scripture makes it very clear that God is angry with, with the reality and, and the desires that exist inside of sinful people and, and, and disobedience, and he wants to unleash his anger on that disobedience. But, but, he often and so, so often is patient with us that we might come to him, that we might repent. So that's the second reality. The third reality is this, yet. So scripture speaks more of God's wrath than his love, yet he still prepares the feast and extends the invitation. He still invites people to come to this amazing feast that he is throwing. The reality is there's still some that continue to refuse him. This is the invitation, though. I want to tell you what the invitation is. It is this. The Son of God is going to bear the weight of God's anger towards our sin in his physical body on the cross. This is how God extends his invitation. He sends Jesus to the cross to bear the full weight of his wrath towards sin so that people who believe in him might have a free entry into the kingdom, into the great banquet that he's throwing. Our temptation is to look at scripture and and speak of God's anger, and maybe even say, God, that's not fair that you would be angry. But the reality is we need to let Scripture instruct us about what it says about sin, about God's holiness, and and about his goodness, and adjust our perspective in this realm. Okay, so we have the party. We have the people who have been invited. 
I want to talk to you for a second about hospitality. Hospitality is this, love for stranger. This, this parable is all about hospitality. How, uh, how God loves the people who we don't expect, the people who are other, the stranger. Jesus applies this concept all over the place. He has meals with people he barely knows. He spends time with sick, sick people. He heals them. He hangs out with the social outcasts and the sinners. Jesus exercised radical hospitality, and that's important because this parable is about hospitality. This host, he has a party, he has a great feast, and there's more space at the table. There were people who didn't show up. There were people who turned him down. And guess what? There's a lot of room at the table. So quick, there is room for not just more people, but many more people. Verse 21, then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. So I want, I want you to notice, first of all, there's a sense of urgency here, right? We have to get people to the party. The host has everything ready to go. There's space for a few more, so we need to hurry quickly. So go, get the poor people, get the social outcasts, get the people who nobody thinks belongs here, And so the host, he starts exercising hospitality in this radical way. So I want you to know, so Jesus is talking to these people. He's telling a story, and we've talked about this a few times, the principle of disequilibration. And this is what it is. It's unexpected or shocking details that disturb the listener's existing way of thinking. So, so there are three problems, three disturbing realities with these people that Jesus is saying that this host invites. Three problems with the host inviting these guests. First of all, People thought that their situation was the result of sin. So if you associated with this, these people, you were associating with sin. God has placed a curse upon them. Their parents did something wrong. They did something wrong. And so that's why they're like this. And so if you associate with them, you associate with sin. Number two, they were a drain on society. So they, the society had a, a challenge trying to care for these people. These people all the time were asking people for money and, and trying to be taken care of. And then the third thing is to associate with them was to willingly lower your social status. So this guy who's very rich, who throws this massive, massive banquet, the implication is that he willingly lowers his social status. And this is meant to show us something of God's hospitality. See, God has so much blessing to get at, give out. Uh, the feast that he's providing will actually be the biggest and best feast banquet party ever, and he's not afraid to get dirty in offering his invitation. He's not afraid to associate with the people. So, so every person that is invited, every person that is invited into God's kingdom, actually, like, there are things in their life that are the result of sin. Every one of us actually contributes in some way or another to the brokenness that exists here in God's world. And and this is what the Bible says happened. The, The Bible says that God lowered his social status in order to give us an invitation. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men. So the guy who was God, who was like God in every way, became like man and lowered his social status. And being found in human form, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient. So he didn't just become like us, but he died for us. Even death on a cross. And here's the implication. No matter what you lack, no matter what level of brokenness might exist inside you or around you, no matter what you've done or failed to do, God becomes like you to extend an invitation to you. And so how are you going to respond to the invitation? Because God associated with us in this. So then finally, not just are the poor, crippled, lame, and blind invited, but then everybody's invited. Verse 22. The servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done. We brought him in, and there's still more room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. So now he doesn't just bring in the social outcast, but he, he goes to the farthest parts of the region, the highways and the hedges. He goes out to bring people into this awesome party. And this is, like, this is like the Great Commission in parable form, by the way. He's sending his servant out to go to the furthest edges of the region to bring people in, to tell them the benefits of the feast that is being thrown to explain what it was that the other guys turned down. And he's saying, invite them. Invite as many as you can. For I tell you, verse 24, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So the ones who turned down the invitation at the beginning, that's who he's talking about. The people who turned down the invitation said they're not going to come. They're not going to be able to make it to the banquet. So this is Jesus' goal. We've talked about this a lot but he wants us to put ourselves in the shoes of every single invitee. So maybe we put ourselves in the shoes of the ones who turned down the invitation. Maybe we examine the excuses that we tend to make. Maybe we put ourselves in the shoes of the social outcasts, the ones who shouldn't have been able to come to the party, but they were able because God allowed them, because the host allowed them. Maybe we put ourselves in the shoes of the people at the hedges, right? The people who didn't even see God coming, but all of a sudden the servant comes and says, hey, there's a party, do you want to come? And they're like, yeah, sure, I'm in. Maybe we see ourselves, but, the, but, but Jesus' goal is to get us to, to associate with those invitees. And with this parable, Jesus is making a certain reality very, very clear to us. God is inviting you. God is inviting you. So what are you going to do with that invitation? Are you going to take it for granted? Are you going to accept it? Are you going to reject it? Are you going to make an excuse? Are you going to willingly jump in like that poor person who nobody has ever honored in their life because you're like, finally somebody sees me? Somebody recognizes me? Are you going to jump in? God's inviting you. Will you take the invitation for granted? Okay, so what? So what? First of all, everything is ready. I want to talk about the urgency of the situation that, that we're looking at here. Uh, the, the host, he says, everything is ready, everything's prepared, and, and so he sends his servant out to start bringing people in like crazy. And here's the reality. Jesus could show up tomorrow. His kingdom, like, we could be going there, and the reality is, is there are a lot of people who haven't heard. There are a lot of people who haven't been told, who haven't been brought in. And so the, the urgency that's reflected here is that, hey, this feast is getting ready to start, and we need to go. We need to bring people in. We need to tell them. God has tons of space at his table and there are people who don't know yet 
about the blessings that he has to offer. This is the second, so what? How can I extend God's hospitality? So maybe there's a person or family in your neighborhood that, that you need to invite over for dinner. Maybe there's a person who doesn't look like you, who you need to befriend and get to know and understand their experience. Maybe there's a social outcast at work that you need to have lunch with. Part of the implication of this parable is that we would have compassion inside of us, that we would have an understanding of the other, the person who is unlike us, the person that we don't yet understand, so that we would love them, so that we would share a meal with them, so that we would enter into their their experience and offer them an invitation to the great party that God is throwing. Would you pray with me, please? God, as I um, reflect on, on exactly what it is that you're going to do, the, the victory that you're going to accomplish, Lord, that, that you'll do away with death forever. The, the effects of sin on our world, the, the, the conflicts that, that rage against us, where we rage against each other, um, Lord, the war that exists in the world, everything that exists because of sin, you're going to do away with. Lord, and on that day, we will get to have the most amazing party that we have ever been a part of. Lord, we'll get to celebrate the fact that you are actually doing away with death. And so, Lord, I pray even now that you would well up expectation in our hearts for that day. I pray that in this moment. But Lord, I I pray that you would also help us to be aware of the various invitations you're giving us to enter into your blessing. Lord, in the present, to enter into your blessing through obedience, through discerning what it is that you want us to do, the will of God. Lord, that you might be glorified, that we might respond positively, that we could truly see the goodness of the invitation that you, off, that you offer us, and Lord, that and that we would maybe even be like those, those poor, those crippled, those lame, those blind, who are just so thrilled to even be considered for the opportunity to enter in. Lord, would you do these things inside of us and amongst us? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close in worship?